how do you know as a builder, even at an existing company, like how many steps ahead should you be thinking here? Because if you're one step ahead, you get crushed. If you're three steps ahead, it doesn't crush. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Welcome back for part two of two of our conversation on unsolicited feedback with Aaron White. Join me, Fareed Mosavat, and my co-host, Brian Balfour, as we talk through a couple of specific products, how they fit into the longer-term vision that Aaron sees for where AI tools are headed, and what we think will and won't be successful in that context. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I suggest you go back in your uh, favorite podcast player and check it out because it does set up a lot of the context for this conversation. If you want more on this conversation, want to give us feedback or want to just be involved in the conversation more deeply, please join our newsletter at unsolicitedfeedback.co. We'll dive right in right now with Aaron White. All right. So why don't we talk a little bit about all of these concepts in the world of just like building products. And I think one thing that we've talked a little bit before, you know, in a previous episode for Reed is there's this distinction in products that seem to be emerging where there are some products that are specifically designing for humans in the loop or those as like a director of AI. And there are those that are kind of skipping that step and going to a different destination. So Aaron, I'm interested how you kind of think about this. I would actually, I think there's, yeah, three categories. One is co-pilot, we'll call it. And I know that's a branded term for Microsoft, but it's like the human is the driver and the AI is assisting. Mm -hmm. Then there's sort of a second category that is, I don't have as many good examples, but I think what you're describing, Brian, which is human as guider, but the AI is doing the bulk of the work. work. It's like 80-20. And then there's sort of like a category of agent, like AI directed. You give it a goal and it goes and plans and executes. And that's things like baby AGI, GPT agent thing. Yeah, Lindy, et cetera, et cetera. So it's almost three categories. And I think it's interesting how we've seen them quickly evolve. So sorry, sorry to interrupt, Aaron, but. No, no, no. I, I I think those actually are the three categories, right? It's, it is a productivity tool for me, regardless of the metaphor. It is a tool that I'm in the loop giving feedback, yay, nay, on its output rather than having it assist my output. And then it just runs free and we judge it on the merits, right? And that's like the, the true agent. Here, here's my take. I think that this technology is advancing so rapidly that a lot of classic application builders are not taking a forward enough view of how to build the value they provide their users such that they're going to find themselves left in the dust before the current cycle has even finished. Like we're used to having tech and products disrupted a cycle after they're built, but I think it's going to happen sort of intra-cycle here because of exactly how fast this is accelerating. Hmm. So there's a book that I love called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, classic. If you haven't read it here, get an AI summary. But one of the one of the uh, the habits is begin with the end in mind, right? And this is very much like jobs to be done. What is the point of this thing, right? And then you can kind of back into how you get there. And so I think there are products that do really cool stuff, but are going to struggle or struggle more because they haven't fully concluded the value they should be providing their users. And I got to have a great example to kick this off. So I will I will enter that yeah. example now. You're, you're leaving us yeah. hanging here. Yeah, you're leaving. Yeah, 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 no, okay. so, so, so I think Jasper yeah, is a great let's example. Let's break down like, yeah, one yeah. like example and try to break it into, okay, here's what it is today, but here's what they're actually trying to do. Yeah. Right. 
Right. So Jasper's a great example. They were one of the first to leverage these new LLM technologies before others did and grew like crazy because of it. Right. So, you know, congrats to all builders who sees new tech and do new things. But I think it's going to see its own disruption in a way in this cycle. Number one, obviously, there's a lot of like clones and competitors because the tech is not bespoke to them. But let's say you're a marketer using Jasper to create blog posts for the purpose of SEO, for the purpose of attracting customers. The job to be done isn't to assist me writing blog posts if I want to get this a little bit further. The job to be done is I want articles that convert meaningful SEO traffic from my ICP. That's what I actually want. And I want to do that at scale. So Jasper is a tool and maybe a co-pilot for me. But there have been companies that have tried this pre-LLM, but the real use case for some marketers is just build out a long tail SEO funnel for me automatically and plausibly. That's all I care about, right? And so that feels more meaningful to me. And that's the sort of thing that I would expect would leapfrog something like that. And you know, that's a just thinking through from a product experience what people want. But AI is so new, we're so unsure how to think about it. It's easier to do the things that we've seen and we can mimic. Chat interface, chat interface. Right. So I'll pause there before I give other examples. But but that's one to me where it's like, cool, great use of the tech, but not actually solving for a specific use case quite deeply enough to fall prey to the kind of attack of everybody else and being leapfrogs by those this cycle who may take use cases to a more fuller conclusion. I guess the question is, is just like how far to build in the future, because taking that as an example, yeah. right, let's say that Jasper or anybody honestly built that product, right, that pumped out high converting content specifically designed for our ICP and for like the SEO channel. The moment that that's enabled, the SEO channel, whatever is going to get immediately crowded with that content, the value of it's going to erode incredibly fast, right? And then there's got to be like another thing. <laughs> there's another step there's like another step beyond that. So there, there's this weird cycle in that example of the thing that you enable actually leads to its own demise at the same time. Mm. Uh, yes. And if you're successful at taking down Google because you're so good at SEO, that's a really interesting place to be. Well, you don't need, you're not like taking down Google. It's just like for that specific category, right? Like let's say like yeah. the CRM category, all it takes is five, six players to come in and use the exact same tech. And all of a sudden you're basically fighting over little bits and pieces, right? Aside from SEO traffic falling, same. you know, like all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Same arms race. It's always been on some level. It's just that the, the time to getting your alpha sucked out and hit kind of average with your competitors well, I guess, being compressed. Right? Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's in my question. It's like, how do you know if the alpha is worth it? Because you can like easily lead yourself yeah. into a conclusion that actually anything that I build, like the alpha is not going to be there for long enough to, <laughs> to to make it worth it to build it. From the perspective of a Jasper though, that was doing this flavor of their value prop, I'd still argue they're successful because what, what it essentially means is if you're not using AI assisted long tail content generation for SEO tooling, there's no, you have no hope of competing. So it becomes a must pay right. for a product. So, you know, yes, mm. for the consumers, you're, you're kind of forced into this and you're not actually getting a lift. Same comp competition always requires technical leverage, but you may end up in the same spot. If you don't do it, you fall behind. But meanwhile, Jasper's taking, they're capturing value. Now, this, the sad slash crazy part is where are they taking that value from? Like if you're still paying in for the same results, where is that value extraction coming from? Reduction in marketers, copywriters, right? Right. You're shifting employment costs from your company to Jasper 
and can compressed. And, 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 you know, that's not that novel or, or maybe dystopian. That's true for most software tech. That's what it does on some level is it lets fewer people do more. Right. Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of like pessimistic vibe in this, but I want to like try to turn it to some little bit of optimism. Look at all my colors. I'm trying to yeah. keep it optimistic. One of the things that has almost sidelined me on a lot of like AI related building or thinking about things or even investing is I've seen two things that seem scary to start a company or build something new in this space. One is the tech is advancing so quickly that it can very quickly be subsumed by new stuff from the biggest players, from the foundational model creators, from the largest companies, et cetera. There's a whole slew of stuff that like seemed like it was good because GPT-3 could only do X, Y, and Z, and then 4 comes out and it's like, whoops, my whole value proposition doesn't matter because it's been subsumed by the thing. There's that trend. Then there's the second, which is the incumbents have been very quick to add productivity type, co-pilot type stuff to their products, which has meant being the same as Microsoft Word, but with Copilot is not good enough. It, you can't win like that, which is, I think Jasper is an example. There are many others like that, right? We've seen it with code. You have to have some meaningful other data network effect or social network effect or something else to be able to build off the ground. As we know, those things are really, really hard. And so we've seen Google, Microsoft, Salesforce, Slack, everybody adding AI to their products and it means there's not a lot of room to be the slack, but with AI, right? So I think the optimism I hear in this, Aaron, is I think this second category, do the job versus help me do what I'm doing today more effectively is actually hard for the incumbents to do for a lot of different reasons and may actually be a better entry point for new companies and new businesses than what we saw in the last mini cycle which was the productivity improvers. Like Copilot is in every Microsoft product or will be very, very shortly. Whatever Google is calling it this week, <laughs> Gemini, Bard, whatever is going to be in every Google product. They can go fight it out. Notion has AI and all of its stuff. Even the like startup versions have this stuff, Slack, Notion, everything. It's going to be really hard to break through the noise on that. The optimism totally. here is, I don't think that's quite as true for build me an SEO strategy. Your competitors that are actually services businesses right now, right? Not software companies. The thing that's in my head is like, everything's a service company in the future, if that makes sense. It's just that it's powered by software. This is like the software is eating the world for the real world for services and expertise. And what you're really doing is like, hiring companies to do jobs, not to buy software that you install at your company, which I think is an interesting different way of looking at the world and may actually be effectively impossible for incumbents to do because like they sell software to humans who get more productive. That is what the future of work paradigm of the Slack era, the Notion era, the Figma era, et cetera, really was, right? This is a different thing. So instead of like Figma, it's build me a design that people really like that's hyper-personalized to each customer's needs. I yeah. don't know if that's a company, but it could be, right? And that looks very different. I bet it is actually. You know, let me just spitball an entire company idea here off the cuff, right? Let's just self-brandizing with it. Like if you had a standard component library that you could tune for your brand 
And then you had an AI understand the API call that a page was intended to complete. So whatever form you're filling out, hitting submit, submits that API call. The AI can, with best practices, automatically gin up a user interface. And depending on the user, if it ever sees them struggling with certain design patterns, like they just never get radio buttons, but they do get checkboxes, it uniformly swaps that out for their entire experience in that app. And then what we think of as design is upended because we're starting with best known principles. All the design world today is trying to anneal to like an average understanding for a given group of users of what the best interface is, but we don't need to do that anymore. It can auto adapt. And if you can share that information here, network effect for this app, dear entrepreneur who's listening, you can then follow that user across all the apps they use and tailor all those interfaces to their particular unique understanding of UX so that you never run afoul of their UX foibles. That is an AI version of the next Figma. And that's where we're headed. But helping humans do things slightly more productively is now a game for incumbents due to their distribution. And unless you're coming up against fundamental product metaphor or better yet, innovators dilemma for their business model, I wouldn't bother trying to compete with them. You really have to think around the corner in a much bolder way this time around. Well, I, I think I agree with that. But the, I think the, the tough question is, how do you know like you're building too far into the future? Right. There has to be some happy medium because of capital constraints, time, like all that kind of stuff in startups. And that feels like the tricky spot is just where are you attempting to land this plane? Yeah. If you've played with any of the agent things, for instance, which I would say is two steps ahead of what we're talking about. That's two steps ahead. They don't really do the job very well yet. Even they don't work. You could could say they don't work. (laughs) They don't work. They don't work. Yeah. They are a really great proof of concept of an idea of something that could in the future maybe work, but doesn't yet work. And again, Aaron, I get that your view is, and I think you're right, is that the steepness of this curve makes it impossible to predict how quickly they will work or how well they will work. Just as a random aside, if no one here has used Grok, G-R-O-Q, go to grok.com. They have built new hardware specifically designed for LLMs. And the thing that you would type into GPT-4 and it would take it about 30 seconds to spew out a response comes out instantly and against existing open source models. And it is crazy how much it feels like a massive step function change in just a week. Like a That's week right, ago, yeah. it didn't exist and now it exists and it's unlocked a ton of new stuff. So like maybe the speed at which these things get better at this stuff is going to change dramatically in ways. But, but the point I think Brian's making is how do you know as a builder... Even at an existing company, like how many steps ahead should you be thinking here? Because if you're one step ahead, you get crushed. If you're three steps ahead, it doesn't crush. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think, well, that's the multi-billion dollar question. And whoever answers what that happy space in the middle is for any of the various industries they're in is going to do quite well. I'm with you that agents aren't here yet. And I'm with you that incremental productivity improvements don't, don't really, they're cool. And people are now expecting them. They've kind of become table stakes shortly, even when they don't work particularly well, they're kind of non-offensive. That middle ground requires a lot of creativity and short of talking with people to try to figure it out. I don't have any good broad advice except to say, don't think about co-pilots. Think about, you know, human in the loop certifying something or not. One other way to think about this too, is that humans should only ever get involved with software to handle exceptions, full stop. So I think that's a maxim that is now true today. So if Mm -hmm. SaaS, a lot of SaaS is really just process guardrails for humans because humans aren't good type two thinkers. We don't like to go slow. We don't like to do the same thing twice. We don't like having our work checked. We just want to be creative and play with our toys. 
that's true for me. That's true for you. It's true for everybody, right? Now, there are some really amazing people who can follow a process and hold others to it. They're called operators, right? And they end up as strategic CEOs and they're good enough and project managers at the entry level. But that's really valuable. SaaS products encode process so that humans are kept on the happy path more often than not, right? But AI has no problem following the happy path, you know? And so like a lot of this, the busy work that humans do that's wrote is going to be replaced by LLMs. And so the place for humans is as critic saying, hey, here's something I want to give you feedback on once and never again, or here is an exception you didn't know how to handle. And for whatever reason, because the data wasn't yet on the internet or in our system, I'm going to tell you how to handle this exception. And so a great example of that product, Fin, Intercom's yeah. Fin, I think is phenomenal. So by way of anecdote, we were moving to Intercom and I'd use Intercom and love it previously, but particularly to, to get access to Fin. And after six weeks of having it up, it was handling 70% of our support requests end to end. 100% of customers in those requests rated at five stars. And so that's a great example where you had the AI operating against the people protocol. It was acting as though it was a support agent. It was right. reading our help docs. It was reading prior conversations to educate itself. And it was working with customers. And the only time things got escalated was when it couldn't handle something, either because it didn't understand the customer well enough because it wasn't in the system. It didn't understand the product feature and functionality because it wasn't in the help docs or some other nuanced thing. And so ultimately, support becomes exception handlers. We do that today with like tier one, tier two, tier three support, but AI is going to be eating that up. So you kind of have to move humans up the exception stack. You can't do rote things. Rote things don't make sense for people to do anymore. And people don't like doing them. Jobs that are super rote are the highest churn, lowest happiness, like hardest to hire for, et cetera. I, I think that's a really good example of just going back to your seven habits. What was it? Start with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. The end in mind here is solve customer problems in ways that make them happy, right? Yeah. And that's um, how Finn builds, which is brilliant. Well, right. well, I heard something a little bit different. It feels like the the categories of knowledge work that are first most susceptible are actually like the functions that people don't want to be in. <laughs> like that, that, that you often find people like trying to work their way out of. So Brad Gerstner and Bill Gurley have this new podcast called BG Squared. I've considered changing my last name from Balfour to Golfor. Maybe they'll just get on there. BG cubed. Brian Golfor. Yeah, that's right. Um, (laughs) BG cubed. BG cubed. Uh, Yeah. Leave us, Brian. (laughs) That would be so sad. Bill Bill and Brad, if you're listening, which (laughs) probably aren't, let me know. I will formally change my name. But anyways, they had Aaron Levy, the founder and CEO of Box on, and I thought he made an interesting observation, which was there are these like certain categories of software engineering, and I would actually probably put customer support in this, that has a unique combination of characteristics. One is that the work is like being done in a text editor of some form, for example. Two is that the thing that they are like trying to create, that there is a massive training set out there on the internet. Three is what they're trying to create is slightly more structured. That's a little less true for support than it is for code. But he basically like combined all these ingredients and he was like, look, this was the ideal environment for this technology. And that's why this is where the co-pilot types of products or even your second stage of Finn, who where that goes and basically completes the job for you have emerged. But I think his end conclusion is actually the majority of knowledge work is not like that. 
and that there's like all these categories of work where one of those ingredients or multiple of those ingredients are completely missing. And I think this definitely gets into like categories of work where there's more either nuance or strategic thinking or the repository that yeah. like exists there, like out there on the web. But I think his point was like actually the majority of knowledge work like actually does not have these ingredients. And I'm like interested if like you agree with that or not. I don't without evidence. <laughs> in in fairness, without seeing his evidence either, maybe he doesn't have evidence. Like I think it's convenient to say that. But I know a lot of people that their primary tool of choice is either email, Slack, or both, which is predominantly text-based. And, you know, one other thing here is assuming AI can only operate on text, it, it doesn't, but let's assume it only did. We have AI that can turn images and video into text. You know, Gemini 1.5 can turn an entire movie into play-by-play frames. So I'm going to like framework nerd out on this a little bit. About a year ago, I came across a blog and a site by a guy whose name is Cedric Chin. And he writes about a bunch of different knowledge stuff, business practices, etc. One of the concepts that he's talked about is this idea of tacit knowledge, which is knowledge that can't be learned through words alone. It is like knowledge that you have to learn by doing. And one of the examples he uses in his blog is riding a bike. I cannot teach you just by telling you (laughs) how to ride a bike without you actually riding a bike, right? You have to get on the bike and you have to try it and you have to feel it and you have to crash and you have to understand that. And so he talks about how most interesting business work is really tacit knowledge that we find this all the time with Reforge stuff. We have folks that come to us and they're like, tell us how I do X. You're like, well, it depends. You have to actually have done X enough times or know enough examples about how to solve a retention problem to be able to piece it together and come up with a unique situation. What he claims, and I'm not sure I'm getting all of this right, is that certain great business people think in terms of mental models and analogies and examples, which I know a lot of like sciencey people hate because they want to solve everything from first principles, but the actually analogy and examples is a better way to do certain kinds of knowledge work. Because there's never the same situation twice. Every situation is an exception. And I know, Aaron, that you've found this. There is nothing about your process at Vendor that is exactly the same as the way you did it at Blissfully, which is why integration of companies is so hard and is certainly not the same as your previous companies. It is dependent on size, the talents of the people you have in the organization, your customers, the problems that you're solving, et cetera. So my point here is... That we think that there are certain kinds of work where the exceptions are easy to document and easy to do. And there's other kinds of work where the exception is the default, not the exception. And I think if you're looking at problems to solve or places where humans are going to be more deeply involved, I think it will be in the areas where the exception is the rule versus the exception is a one-off. And so like customer support is a decent example of 80% to 90% of queries are not exceptional. They are things you have seen before, Yeah. but there are exceptions and that's where the humans shine, right? Yeah. And there are some places where we're starting to see certain things that are kind of exceptional still be done by AI. One is a company Brian's pointed out to me, I think it's called Fluent. 
And super interesting, they help salespeople build business cases for customers that those champion customers can then go and use inside their organization to talk about how the product they want to buy is high value. So imagine me, I'm an early growth guy trying to sell my VP of engineering on segment. And I can just randomly talk about why segment is cool or amplitude or whatever. And instead they like generate a business case off of the interviews and conversations they had with me, connecting the dots between what their product does and what our business needs are to do it. And that's like a little bit hard. (laughs) It is clearly an exception. Every customer is different. If you just generate the same thing, you might as well just make a template. My point here is that I'm more bullish on knowledge work of interesting forms continuing to be valuable because of this idea that like the exceptions are the rule. That's where I would go if I were a human. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like it makes a ton of is sense. Go I- towards jobs where there's never the same thing twice. The most extreme version is CEO, <laughs> but there are a bunch of other ones close to it like that. I think the job of CEO is going to be very hard to automate because no two companies are exactly the same. Yeah. Well, I, I actually, I love this framing. There's probably one minor nuance that I would say, which is if it's exceptional in your context, but non-exceptional across all contexts, a business can be built mm. there as well. But but directionally speaking, you know, I, I totally agree. And this is the pessimistic slash hopeful take kind of rolled into one. If you wanted to show up at work and do the same thing every day because work is not your passion or your focus, and you want to go home at the end of the day and be fine with that. Uh, that's not a good place to be. Like that's not going to exist. Now, the upside is the reason those jobs tend to churn more is that a lot of people struggle with it because they like novelty. They like being creative. They like problem solving. They don't like regurgitation. And I think on some intuitive level, software people in software know that things can be automated, even pre-AI. So great, move towards that. And that might mean more opportunity, not in any given company, but maybe over an explosion of companies. So like maybe a natural conclusion here is you just have more companies, each with lower market caps, like there's just an explosion of niche businesses. But regardless, I think the human defensible work is exactly how you're describing and it's be a good steward of exceptions. And the more exceptional the situations are in a given role, the more defensible that role is in its entirety. I'll kind of add two things to this conversation. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I will not name them because I don't know if they want to be credited with this. But what we were talking about is that even though humans desire to be creative and work on creative things. There are unfortunately just like a lot of professionals out there that just aren't. And there's a lot of professionals that basically hide behind an amazing structured Google Doc or an amazing like Figma file. But at the end, the core idea that's in that like amazing presentation is not unique. It's not creative. It's not powerful. And one of the things that's going to happen is with these AI tooling, it, it, which makes all of that like structuring and presentation, all that work around the creative work much easier and like much more efficient is it's like really going to expose those folks that aren't creative in the end and aren't able to handle those exceptions. That's point number one. Point number two is that most companies beat the exceptions down, right? Like they water right. it down and they don't let the exceptions crop up. And I, I don't see that going away like any, anytime soon. And like maybe it does because all of these tools and all of these products actually help bring these unique ideas to life in a way that's easier to communicate and other people to, ex- to understand and get excited. That would be like the optimistic view yeah. of things. But there's just all these social constructs and companies that actually 
you know, prevent those ideas from actually right. occurring. Yeah. I mean, this is, if you think about a company on like my nerdy scientific terms, you're navigating some sort of terrain with fog over it, looking for the most efficient path. And you got a lot of soldiers marching over that terrain. Once you find a more efficient path, yeah, you beat exceptions out of people because you should be on this path, right? Companies are about mm-hmm. finding the efficient things and enforcing repeatability of those things. Well, ideally maintaining the right amount of experimentation so they don't get caught in local maxima. And a lot of companies do get caught in a lot of local maxima. A lot of companies don't get their ducks in, o- in order and don't find those efficiencies of following the repeatable path. So yeah, I think those folks go away if companies then beat all creativity out of themselves. They're just not going to be able to compete. Fair enough. It's funny talking this stuff through because it always sounds so wild. And is it just going to be a bunch of big new winners, including some old incumbents? Or is it going to be a universe of many more companies each doing more creative things on average per person? You know, I hope it's the latter. I think the common narrative right now is that the incumbents are going to accrue most of the value of this technology. But I think given the framework that you're talking through, Aaron, is like, yeah, the incumbents, it, it actually makes sense for them to focus on the productivity gains. I guess the question then is like, who is best positioned to basically move on to step two, step three, whatever, like the leap yeah. that we're taking about it is, is it still the incumbents or do, are there things that are going to prevent them from actually doing that? Is it somebody like Jasper that was like early to the game? And even though they missed the first boat, there's like still stuff there to leverage or is it like clean slate? I mean, it's a, probably a mix of all of the above. This is where you get into the innovators dilemma, right? If you've got your cash cow, how in the heck do you disrupt yourself, especially when you're in a public market effectively? That is a hard thing to do, and I think it kills a lot of scaled public companies, right? Some navigate it, but it's just very challenging. I think the people who work inside those companies that do have entrepreneurial spirit in them can see how those constraints are holding their team back would be well served by divorcing themselves and starting something new. I do think folks that are in this first innovation wave, whether they caught the right edge of the wave or not, still have plenty of opportunity. And you know, Brian, you and I have talked about this before, but the amount of leverage a small team or even a single individual has is incredible. So I think you're just going to see a ton more experimentation, and then you're going to see new things emerge that aggregate up however many people they need, maybe zero, maybe 20. But you're going to have far more experiments landing routinely to see which the markets respond to. I think there are a couple of interesting takeaways from the conversation that I think lead to some ideas and answers to your question, Brian. First takeaway was the seven habits takeaway, I would call it, which is start with the outcome. And this allows you to go narrow and solve very specific problems. And that those problems are still the existing business problems or consumer problems that exist in the world. And if you can solve those directly using AI in interesting ways, you may be able to do it so very, very efficiently and and, and solve the problem. So I, I think that one's an interesting one. Begin with the end in mind that I think those things are harder for incumbents and a good area for startups to build it. I think the second one is just improving human productivity, probably incumbent game. And certainly, like we know the third one, which is like foundational models, like building the models. That's like a rich company scheme, <laughs> infrastructure companies, companies with trillions of dollars, that kind of thing, plus open AI. The last one I'll throw out is I am curious about people building not the tools 
around this stuff, but actually like the outcome. I think OpenAI will build Sora and I think they'll do a better job of it than anybody else. And I think MidJourney will build image generation better than anybody else. But who's building a film studio? Who's building an animation studio? Who's building games? So like we use the software examples, like Finn solves customer service. That one's an incumbent. So interesting. And we use Fluent. There's another company, EvenUp, that solves certain problems for personal injury lawyers. They solve those problems. They sell directly to them. But is there a personal injury law firm to be built? Is there a games company to be built? Is there a not just, oh, I'm putting content on TikTok, but a new TikTok to be built? I think it's the same lesson from last time, which is we went from software to full stack service. And I think there's a whole new slew of full stack services that can be provided now that were not economically rational to build before that are because of the tooling, but also how well you can solve the problem because things that look like services are actually software now. Just look at the world of service companies like brand marketing agencies, maybe, or SEO. I love like bounties on Replit. I think that's a really cool example. Most of those people are just using AI to solve these bounties as quickly as possible and make sick money, right? Upworks. There's a whole bunch of these things that are like, just solve the end problem, right? Do you remember Atrium, the legal company? Yeah. Like too soon, probably. Too soon. Right now you could do that because we, we know that the cost of interacting with legal services companies is so high We know that NPS can be low. We know people are like reticent to engage due to those facts. You know, they had a a great idea for a better end user experience, but the, there was no deep innovation they could find that made them better than these, these law firms. Right. Well, now you can. And so I actually find it interesting. Like there's a, a conundrum with AI software where let's say you were pursuing the legal path. Do you create the software for legal firms or do you just create the world's one and only legal firm that outcompetes all of them? Or do both of those things happen simultaneously? It's probably closer to that. But there are things that people have tried that weren't possible before in this better services space that are probably way more possible now. Uh, That's actually pretty exciting. I don't know a lot about law, but let's just pontificate on this one for a second. Law seems like, from the outside, an exception handling business. The hardest problems in law, the ones that people get paid the most money to do, are the brand new exceptions, right? And there's a whole bunch of billable hours that are on things that people have seen a lot of times before. So what's interesting is, I wonder if you could attract the like best lawyers in the world and pay them enormous amounts of money to do just the stuff they like doing and not managing armies of associates because you do this well. So on one end, it's saying, hey, it's going to take away all these jobs, but it's actually going to make the top 1% maybe earn 10 times what they could otherwise, right? Because they can handle so much more stuff. And I I do worry a little bit about this bifurcation that like there will be a cacophony of content, but the people who are the most creative, who build the best ideas that actually do break through, Aaron, the new Game of Thrones, (laughs) right? Will maybe be able to build that by themselves. Yes. Right? So there's the really micro hyper-targeted But there's a world where the top, top end could be like as broad as it is today in terms of reach because of the networks we built in the last generation, but built by much smaller teams. And instead of 
billion dollar budgets or $500 million budgets to be built from $1 million budgets, which will put a lot more dollars in the hands of a small number of people who are really creative. That may be true in a lot of these tacit knowledge places. I, for instance, I'm advising and consulting with a bunch of companies. There's a maximum number of companies I could work with. If you could triple that for me, I'd make we're just three times as much. Show, whatever, show you me know, your inbox for eating. Yeah. Give me a 30% cut and I'll see what I can do for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that kind of thing. The thing that I struggle with is during the reconstruction phase where we're rethinking software entirely, there's going to be a lot of extreme winners and very few of them relatively, right? Now, what comes after that hopefully opens back up. Or if it's not pure sort of software infrastructure or these kind of reconstructed services, maybe there are other things that people can make a lot of money on. Like ideally, take you, Fareed, your personality, you think you're interesting, I think you're energetic, right? Like you have an audience, but you probably don't have your total addressable audience yet. And could AI get you there? And thus every person could be sorted into their particular you know, community of all the things that resonate with them and you're just automatically inserted. That ought to create a lot of opportunity along the long tail for people to find their yeah. their relative niches. It won't be at the scale of the person who creates that platform, which might be a team of three people, right? And not, you know, 10,000 like Facebook. But yeah, so it's really hard to predict. I'm more optimistic. And, That's and why we love it. My reason for that, yeah, <laughs> is this idea that there are markets that have never made sense to serve. That's true. That's true. That will make sense to serve because of this and I can give you the math uh, that, that are willing to pay, right? And so there will be more very small but highly successful businesses that target these specific things. Now, they will probably employ significantly less people, but I think there are more markets. So my hope, again, there will be some middle point where everything is screwed. But a part of my worldview on this is that like, I have a joke that every time there's consumer surplus in the United States, we end up pushing it towards our pets. Like think about the stuff you, you spend money on my with your dog that therapist, your grandparents yeah. would think is insane, right? That there will be just a lot of things like that. And there will be a lot of businesses built around that and they'll be smaller. And there will be like a couple of mega corps that do a bunch of stuff and a lot of micro corps. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I mean, that's a very different world. Here's the structured version of that that I think about. You go back to the AI is interesting because it implements the people protocol. Was an expensive thing that was reserved only for successful executives 10 plus years ago, having an executive assistant keep meeting notes and action items to do follow up. And yet now everybody has that in every platform. What meeting tool worth its salt? doesn't capture a transcription and summarize it for you. And that's because the AI can work less than the kind of average wage of an executive assistant in those contexts. So we're lowering the cost here to where you could never pay a human to do this, but AI can do it cheaply enough that everybody gets it. So I think there are examples like that and it's pretty interesting, you know, Love the pet analogy. I think it's a, <laughs> maybe that's where it goes. My Tamagotchi, my cat, and a few other things really lead really luxurious lifestyles. So we've had kind of like a wide ranging conversation, a little different than some of our others, Aaron, but I think you've raised a ton of really interesting big picture points. And so since a lot of our audience is product leaders, product managers, not founders of new companies, although we have those two, I think the question they would ask is given these changes, like what should they be focused on? What advice would you give to product builders building in the space or even just in general? Yeah. 
Great question. And my, my brain goes to a couple of places simultaneously. So I'll try to structure this thought. I mean, one is being a lifelong learner has never been more important than it is now. And I am spending eight hours a day, could easily spend 12, my wife would kill me, eight hours a day just reading X for AI news. And I'm a special basket case, so you probably don't need to spend that much time. But this is evolving so fast and the patterns aren't known. This is when web came out. This is when mobile came out. This is the period where great product people who are eager and experimental and learn from others are going to do incredible things. So stay intellectually thirsty, like deeply. I think that's a, that's a big one. And I think it's kind of going back and doubling down on, you know, begin with the end in mind jobs to be done is a perennial piece of advice that's only more important. If you're applying AI because you need a little bit of AI sales sizzle, cool. But I think you're going to get, you know, smacked sideways by what's coming from other areas. So think several steps ahead. You know, who, how do you add productivity enhancements? Great. How do you remove the need to help a human be productive and just have it judge the quality of what you're constructing? Think that through. Come up with three different examples of that. Then think through the one step beyond it, which may be five, 10 years out or further. We don't know where the agent just does all this for you. But that begin with the end in mind is like it only intensifies as new tech comes out. What experience? Do you want your end user to have? Not what are you trying to help them do? My experience is I want new customers through SEO, right? Or maybe even broader than that. Not I want to get a paragraph banged out. I love it. It's great advice. Cool. Intellectually thirsty. Thank you, Aaron. Thanks, guys. That is a wrap on part two of two of our conversation with Aaron White. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us. And if you have questions, feedback, or comments, Check out our newsletter and sign yourself up at unsolicitedfeedback.co. Next week, I'll be back co-hosting with Ravi Mehta, a guest from season one, and our guest, Bezad Sarjani, who has run research operations and other roles at companies like Slack and Facebook, and is one of the most thoughtful user researchers I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Lastly, I'd like to make a quick plug. Reforge, where Brian is CEO and I've been a contributor for many years, is actually working on a new AI feature that makes it really easy for our members to glean contextual expert advice from our platform. It's like having someone like me or Brian or Aaron or Bezad sitting next to you at your desk while you work through tough problems. So if you'd like to check this out, check it out at reforge.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week for episode two of season two.